0: Good morning. It is uh, nice to be here with you this morning again. Uh, And I'm really excited about today because we're getting into chapter 3 of Jonah. Uh, Jonah, the prophet was commissioned by God to speak for him. He's was told to go to Nineveh and call out against it. Like a guy standing on the corner calling out against Nineveh. But Jonah ran away as if he could hide from God. I think I'll just go the other direction. And I wonder if if. God could have done it a different way. Instead of, I'm going to send Jonah. Jonah's going to go do this, but God is sovereign. He's omniscient. And he knew what was going to happen. He knew Jonah was going to go, no, I don't think so. Right? God's not surprised. There's so many things that go on in our life and we we don't know. but, But God's never surprised by those things. Right? There's never a time when God goes, wow, I didn't see that coming. Right? He knew what was going to happen, yet he chose Jonah for this purpose. Not just for chapter 1 and chapter 2. I, I really think we're getting to it now in chapter 3. God could have done it so many other ways, yet he chose Jonah. He chose Jonah for our benefit. He chose Jonah for the benefit of the people of Nineveh. And he chose Jonah for Jonah because he was working in Jonah's life too. And it wasn't just, I'm going to send Jonah to go do something. And, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's just a job that needs to get done. I think we think that way often, right? And we, 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 look, there's a job that needs to get done. And so we, we price it out. We see what the best deal is. And yet he chose Jonah for Jonah's benefit. Jonah ran. God sent the wind and the waves to get Jonah to do the job that Jonah was supposed to do there's really no way to separate Jonah from what he was supposed to do right and if we say Jonah we often think fish but but in fact we should think Jonah is the prophet that's the thing that he was made to do when Jonah knew he was caught instead of repenting and going okay god i kind of blew it he said throw me into the ocean Then he ended up in the fish for three days and three nights. Then it was only after that that he then called out to God in repentance. We went through that last week in chapter 2 where where it was very much an acknowledgement of what had happened. Yet it's in chapter 3 where we get the clearest picture of the gospel Possibly in the Old Testament. And it's the reason why, when I thought, I've got four Sundays, what do I need to do? I need to do Jonah. And it was because of verse 1 of chapter 3. Jonah in the fish called out to God, and here's what happens in verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, That's it. And it seems so simple. The word of Yahweh came to Yonah a second time. That's it. Yet, there's so much in that. This is indeed the good news. That's what the gospel is. That you could mess up. In fact, you could mess up in such an extravagant way that God's response to you is waves and wind and a giant fish, that you could mess up in that way, and yet God could still give you another chance. This just shows the goodness of God, that he doesn't give up on us after one mistake. The Bible is filled with flawed humans receiving God's mercy and grace. The biblical examples that, that come to mind, well, we have Jonah, of course. and We have, in the Old Testament, we have Samson, who allowed his pride and his lust to get the better of him. When he was weak and he was blind, he called out to God and God heard him. and he restored his strength. David, who was caught in adultery when Bathsheba got pregnant, and he tried to cover it up by having her husband murdered. Yeah, that's David. Uh, In the New Testament, we have Peter, the apostle, denied Jesus uh, more than once. And yet, Jesus still gave him an opportunity. We have Paul. Persecuted the church, arresting Christians, and I could go on and mention the failings of Abraham, who didn't trust God and lied that his wife was his sister, so he wouldn't get in trouble from men that were jealous. Uh, We have Noah, he got drunk, Sarah, Abraham's wife, who didn't believe God's messenger that she would have a baby, Lot and Lot's wife, what about them? Well, Lot shouldn't have been living there, he was in a bad place. Lot's wife who doubted and turned back. Oh, we have Jacob, the swindler. Moses had serious anger issues. Thomas called Doubting Thomas. How you like that one? Like you go down forever as Doubting Thomas. Can I just be Thomas anymore? <laughs> uh, you have the prodigal son. You have Zacchaeus, the greedy tax collector. In all of these, in every single one of these situations, you have someone that's guilty of sin. And yet, the word of God, the word of Yahweh, came to each of them a second time. Or a third time. Or multiple times. God gives second chances. So don't give up. If you've ever been, maybe in a relationship, had an opportunity that you messed up, and then it ended. You got fired from a job, you, someone was so mad at you, they just turned away. And we start to think that that's what God will do. And you know what, let's be honest, that's what he should do. Because we know better. And yet, in his mercy, he doesn't. So what does that, that second chance look like? I was thinking about this this week. Um, in the first couple of years that I had my driver's license, I got pulled over twice. Uh, and silly things, nothing, nothing major. One just got going a little too fast. And the other, I turned down a, a, a closed road and didn't realize the road was closed. And you're not allowed to drive on it. That's why it's closed. And in both times, almost the exact same thing happened. A police officer came up, talked to me, and and uh said, I'm not gonna give you a ticket today. No way. Really? I deserve it. Right? I mean, I used every yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am that I could come up with. I was as as polite as I could be, but look, I wasn't earning not getting a ticket. I deserved that ticket. I, I I, I blew it. And yet I, I went away from that going, Yes, I didn't get what I deserved. I was granted mercy. In 1 John 1 9, John writes, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is it is an act. Of confession, acknowledgment, and repentance. You see, we don't talk about confession a lot, right? We're we're not uh, Catholic or or of maybe those traditions that that might have you know that that uh, confessional booth or something. You see that in movies, I, I guess that's a thing. I don't know, but but we don't talk about confession a lot. Yet the Bible certainly does that we're to confess our sins to God. He's not surprised. He already knows, yet we're still supposed to do it. And realize that Scripture also says we're to confess to one another. Now, it doesn't mean that we walk around with, with signs going, here's all my sins this week, right? It's not that. But that we ought to be in relationship with brothers and sisters that we can be open and honest That's why that's one of our hard attitudes, right? That we live our faith open and honestly before each other so that we're not pretending. The danger of pretending is a danger to us, right? That that everything's fine with me and I start to believe everything's fine with me. But it's also a danger to the other people around us. That, That if I pretend that everything is fine and I'm without sin, right, if if, if I don't, I'm not afraid, I have no anxieties, I, I haven't, you know, stressed out and, and maybe lost my temper, right? If I pretend that none of those things are going on, I do a disservice to my brothers and sisters around me because then they start to think, maybe it's just me. Steve's got it figured out. How come I can't do that? And yet if I'm honest, then what it does for them is they go, you know, it's not just me. And they can then, we can work together on it. We do confess to one another. When the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, it was the same message that he got in chapter one go to Nineveh and call out against it. That's reassuring that that when god had a message for you and you kind of messed up know that the message is still the same you can still get back on track it might be like your your uh, gps right i don't know about you i like to mess with the gps and it says you're going to go this way and you're going to turn and then i go let's go straight and see what it does and then it has to recalculate and well The whole point, though, is that it's getting you going back where you're supposed to go. You have a goal in mind, and God has a goal in mind for you. Then Jonah, for him, the same message, just like chapter 1. In verse 2, the message was this. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Jonah rose <clears throat> and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey. And he called out yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's the message. We we kind of get this impression that, that Nineveh is this huge city. There's thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, I read one account that said possibly 120,000 people lived in the city of Nineveh. That doesn't sound necessarily so huge until you realize that this was 700 years before the birth of Christ. This is a, a huge city, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. And so Jonah made his way a day's journey into the city and then gave the message that God had for them. Jonah wasn't freed from God's direction to go to Nineveh. When he called out to God, God didn't say, well, you know what, three days in the fish, I guess... I guess you don't really have to go to Nineveh now. You've been punished enough. Jonah still had to go to Nineveh. He still had to give the message God said. Even knowing the Ninevites might experience shame. And God might forgive them. Which is why Jonah didn't want to go. He still had to go do what what God told him to do. Your job is to get back on track with God's plan as well. What is it God has called you to do? It feels very much like going on a diet and then kind of having a a cheat day and going, well, I really blew it this week and then just quitting the diet, right? So so I'm losing weight. I'm doing what I'm supposed to, but I really want to eat the cake and I eat the cake and now I'm just going to not be on a diet anymore because I ate cake once? Well, that defeats the whole purpose. No, the whole thing is, well, if you, you make a mistake or you, you have that day where you're like, you know, it's a party, I, I think I'm just going to eat what I want, then the next day you keep going with your diet. Right? That's how you stay in shape. That's how you stay healthy. Well, when God says go, you don't go, well, I kind of messed up today, and so now I don't have to go anymore? No, I messed up today, but, but tomorrow I need to get back on track. There's a reason we say today is a new day, right? Let's start over again. So, what is God telling you to do? So, at the best of your ability, will you seek to make it right and to get back on track with God? Now, look at the response of the people. How incredible the response is. Jonah, who finally did. What God called them to do, and here's the response in verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. This is incredible, the response. The people heard and they went, okay. The people believed God. They called out for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Right, The wealthy, the poor, the, the old, and the young, they seem to respond. Verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne, he removed his robe, he covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Then he issued a proclamation, by the way, that's like a cultural thing. The ashes thing that's, doesn't make a lot of sense, but, uh, but culturally it does. This was an open sign of uh, mourning and repentance. Verse 7, he issued a proclamation and published it through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. We are going to fast and we're going to make the animals fast too. Let them not taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out to mighty God. Mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. This is like the best scenario. Right, that that there's the word of God. There's a call. You need to repent. Here's what's going to happen, and the people responded in an incredible way. Uh, we took a, a group down uh, one of the last times Billy Graham preached in San Diego, and and it, and it felt very much like that, like. Did everybody literally just go down onto the the field of the stadium and respond? And and the message that Billy Graham, I don't don't know if you've heard him personally. You could hear most of what he has said online now. But I was amazed how simple his message was. It it literally, you're like, you know, you think Billy Graham, it's going to be this this elaborate teaching and people are going to go, wow, I never thought of it that way. That was not it. He basically said, God loves you and wants to work in your life. And that because you've sinned, you need him and, and respond. It was so simple. And he says, look, if you're if God wants to work in your life today and you, you know that you want to receive him, get up and come. And you know what? People did. You know, it was An incredible experience. But it was nothing compared to Nineveh. Everybody responded in Nineveh. The people saw what they had done. What they had done was wrong. Right? That it was sin. They responded in repentance. So we say that word a lot. And I think the more we say it, we start to lose the meaning. Right? So repentance means that there's a turning, an acknowledgement of where you were going was wrong, and you change direction, right? At the the root of the word, it's just to change, to go from one direction and to go another. When you repent, it's to, to say, look, I know this was wrong. I need to do something different. So we turn from sin and turn toward God. They repented. They put on the sackcloth. That's that was a, a rough, roughly woven fabric, uh, often of, of goat hair. Nobody lines up to pet the goat when there's a sheep nearby. Okay, so, so goat hair is coarse and rough. Now goats, especially baby goats, are cute. But, but look, you don't want to pet them if you can pet something else. Even the king of Nineveh responded. Wait a minute. That's a real person. That's a historical person. This is the first time after Jonah. We actually get somebody that we could like look up. In the history. So who was he? It's always interesting. Looking at something. From. So long ago. And being able to say. That's exactly what was going on. And who was there. So. You can look at Jonah and pair it with 2 Kings 14.25. We can roughly date the book at the later part of the first half of the 8th century BC. Around 770, 750. And that fits into a very unusual period of the Assyrian Empire. And it's why it's helpful. This period was known as the period of stagnation. What happened is every year, and we actually read this in Kings because it's why David got in trouble. Because in the spring, when kings lead their armies to war, David didn't. He hung out in in the capital and got bored instead. And that's when he saw Bathsheba. And so every year, the Assyrian Empire, where Nineveh was the capital, they would go to war. They would have a campaign, and they would go to conquer the neighboring lands. And yet, from 783 to 745 B.C., there was a period of stagnation when the kings didn't go to war. They didn't go fight battles. The first king during this period is Shalmaneser. He maintained a normal military campaign through the, most of the beginning of his reign, and then there was mar, his uh, reign was marked by decentralization of power. So you have a strong king, and then all of a sudden something changed in the kingdom, and minor dignitaries in the empire started taking more power, which we don't have an answer for. During the the reign of King Asherdan, in his fourth year, the king stayed in the land, the history says. When you consider that every year the king led his army out to fight, in that year he stayed in the land. For 41 years without fail they went to war, and in that year he didn't go to war. No explanation is given why. Yet that kind of behavior, typically if the king doesn't go to war, he gets overthrown. That's what the Assyrian Empire did. It's interesting to speculate that perhaps Asherdan stayed in the land during the fourth year of his reign thanks to jonah 's warning that they were such a militaristic uh empire, and yet they got warning from Jonah, "Change your ways, repent, or Nineveh will fall and there seems to be a correlation between them they they do fit 19, or sorry not nineteenth uh, seven sixties b c would fit the year of stagnation with, uh, with Jonah. And then the years that followed, there was political pressure put on the king. And then he started going back to war again. They went back to their old ways. And then the history records after that, event after event of unbelievable calamity, plagues, revolts, and there was even an eclipse during that time as recorded. And in 612 BC, Nineveh was destroyed by the Medes and the Babylonians. They repented, but then they started back up. They were warned. And then, since they gave in, judgment came. I always appreciate when you can look at the histories and see a parallel with Scripture. We started off in Jonah 1 by saying Jonah was a real person, and there's nothing in the account that says we should read it other than literal. And we have history that seems to corroborate, at least on the surface, the events. Jonah preached, they believed because they felt shame, regret, and they asked God to forgive them. So what next? The king, after everyone put on the sackcloth and covered themselves with ashes, said, let everyone turn from his evil and from the violence that is in his hands. And who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And God did When you believe, what's the change? What happens? When you believe God, what's the result? Is it possible to trust God and then nothing changes in your life? Is it possible for you to stay the same? Or will you think different? Will you speak different? When you believe God, there's a change in your mind, in your heart, in your life. You say different things because you think differently. It used to to bother me. it It still happens all the time, but it used to really bother me when I would meet people for the first time. And then they would find out I was a pastor. And the exact same thing happened every single time. You could read on their face them replaying the conversation. To see if they said something that they thought would offend me. I I, I had one time there was a, a couple of guys, older guys, and uh, we had been visiting and and uh and then they go, Now now tell us what what do you do? I said, Well, I'm a pastor, and they and their eyes got big and they kind of paused, and now you could see the going through the script of what they had said, and then one of them punched the other in the arm. He says, And you told that joke. And I said <laughs> I said, it was a funny joke, you're okay. (laughs) But it doesn't bother me anymore. Because I think it's part of how God made us with the knowledge of of what is wholesome and good versus what is evil and what isn't righteous. Uh, So I think it's actually a natural response as much as I want people to feel comfortable around me, I understand there's there's times when they don't. You see, when you believe God, there is, should be a change. Because you're different, right? Trusting God, you're supposed to be different. Paul, when he wrote to the church in Corinth, in his second letter, 517, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has passed, behold, the new has come. That's what it means to trust God. There's, there's a change. Now, you're still you, but you're not. Right? That, because when you think different, you say different. You act different. You go different places. And That's a good thing. So the people of Nineveh repented. You can see their response. Uh Jonah 3:10 When God saw what they did how they turned from their evil ways God relented of the disaster that he had said and he would that he would do to them and he did not do it So they said put on the sackcloth they felt shame they repented but God saw it and that's what mattered most. And God knew their hearts. God granted them mercy. And He didn't give them the judgment that they deserved in His mercy. And so I'm reminded God promises mercy and grace. So we trust Him. Now there's a difference between mercy and grace, right? Mercy is that the judgment that you deserve doesn't come. When the Bible says all have sinned and falls short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death, that's what we deserve. Judgment. The fact that we're not judged because of our sin, because of what Jesus did, is mercy. Yet God doesn't end there. Right? We don't just go, oh good, I'm not dead. In fact, what God promises is, look, if you're going to to make this decision, and trust me, not only will you not die in sin, but he adopts us as children. I'm not just going to let you die. I'm going to bring you in and make you my son or daughter. That's the gift that he gives See, that's grace, something that we don't deserve and haven't earned, he gives us. In 2 Peter 3, 9, uh, Peter writes, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some understand slowness. But he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach Repentance. He saves us, then he adopts us, then he equips us to serve and be part of the family. So there's hope. I, I don't know about you. I can't read Jonah 3.1 without getting excited about what God has done. And then I have hope. I have hope because the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. So there's hope for me. I've got some next steps for you today. Uh, first of all, uh, thank God for each time he's given me a second chance. <laughs> the word second doesn't always fit, right? Maybe it should say another chance, multiple chances. And perhaps I need one now. So that I can get back on track. If that's where you're at today. Then you do what Jonah did. And you call out to God. And he promises to forgive. Or that. uh, uh, Maybe my next step is to make changes in my life. That reflect the work that God is already doing. And promises to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Lord I thank you. This morning that you are a God of second chances and that we have the message from Jonah, the truly incredible good news. That when Jonah didn't uh, just jump up and do exactly what you said, you weren't just done with him because saving Nineveh wasn't just about Nineveh. It was also about Jonah. That you wanted to use Jonah. You wanted to teach Jonah and grow him closer to you. Lord, we have hope. And Father, I I do pray for each one here. Maybe today they're reflecting on areas of their life where they need to get back on track that that today's the day that just as jonah called out to you that that we would as well trusting that you hear us that you'll respond with mercy and grace Father, we are thankful for, and I think even words don't truly do justice when we say we are thankful for your mercy and grace. So, Father, we are. We are grateful. We're so thankful for Jesus that he died on the cross, that he paid for our sins in our place, that we could be saved from our sin. And then with the gift of your grace, can be children of God. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.